Hello and welcome to Plymouth Beneath the Surface, where we will meet inspiring people from Plymouth that have oriented their lives and careers around the ocean. Are you ready to dive into Plymouth waters to explore career options, discover underwater ecosystems, understand marine research and conservation initiatives? I'm your host, Ruzo Sian, a final year student in marine biology at the University of Plymouth. I'm really grateful to have you here today and I hope you enjoy this dose of inspiration in this new episode. So welcome to the first episode. I'm with Georgie. Georgie, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm a third year marine biology and coastal ecology student at Plymouth, but I'm currently taking a placement year and at the moment I'm working with CFAS. But I'm also an underwater photographer and diver and kind of find myself getting excited about anything marine biology related. Can we talk a bit about your photography skills? Or like, when, when did you start uh, taking photographies underwater? Well, it kind of um, snowballed, really. <laughs> I started um, diving in 2016. Now I'm trying to remember. <laughs> 2016. And um, I took a videography internship straight after I did my open water so I learned how to dive I got kind of familiar with the basics of diving and then straight after that it was kind of okay we're going to produce a film about native marine life and try and get this out there Um, and that sort of opened up some opportunities with the Marine Conservation Society and it gave me this real kind of flavour of you know not just interacting with marine life but being able to show other people and I felt like that was really powerful and then at the time I was still living back up in Cambridge so I didn't really get into the water very often and then I moved down to um, the south coast in 2017 late 2017 and then since sort of early 2018 I've just been getting in as much as physically possible really. So you grew up in Cambridge did you? Yep yeah in Cambridge so (laughs) yeah I wasn't really used to being around the sea very much as a child at all which I think was part of the fascination of I was sort of deprived of it for so long. And then when I was able to be around it all the time, I just never took it for granted. And I like to think I still don't. And also you started diving four years ago. That's not that long ago. No, no, no. There's plenty of people that have been doing it a lot longer than I have. Why did you go into like photography? Like what's the cool thing about taking photographies underwater? I think there's two main appeals for me. One is the kind of scientific applications. Like I have, I love observing things and um, kind of recording things and writing about what I see and things like that. I think that's that fundamental kind of naturalist in me. And photography is really useful for that because you don't have to be able to identify something the moment you see it, providing you've got semi-decent pictures of the things you need to look at you can go back and kind of decide or ask someone else who knows more than you do about what you've actually seen and then the other side of it is being able to engage with people that might not have the the financial kind of situation or the they might not be able-bodied or you know there's lots of different reasons why people wouldn't see the things that I see when I'm in the water and it gives me the chance to go look they're right on our doorstep particularly with the older community like in Axminster where I live there the community is typically kind of retired people and they're not going to be going down to 40 meters at the weekend (laughs) some do but you know not as as a generalization most people within that age bracket aren't going to be doing that so 
to be able to show them is really, really valuable. And photography is a really nice sort of creative outlet to both make something pretty and do something with it afterwards. Cool. So you were talking about like local marine life. Can you tell us a bit more about what we can find underwater here? In Plymouth, there is an amazing diversity of marine habitats, honestly. I have to confess, I do probably more of my diving in Dorset, but there's very similar habitats that can be found there. There are two hotspots, really, locally. One is Plymouth and one is sort of Portland and Weymouth area in Dorset. And then, I guess, when you're heading even further south into Cornwall. But with Plymouth specifically, you've got, there's, I don't even know where to start, honestly. <laughs> you've got amazing kind of wrecks. So if you're interested in the kind of communities that settle on wrecks, then that's amazing. There are kind of various like sea fans and other Nadarians like Plumos and Enemies that can be found at depth. But if you're not into kind of deeper diving, then you've got beautiful seagrass beds and sandy habitats that, while I think are often overlooked the kinds of animals you can find in them are really amazing and the same goes for rocky reefs there's a shore site near devil's point where there is such a broad range of habitats that you can encounter depending on what route you take ranging from sort of you know sea pens and muddy flats to rocky reef to deeper rocky reefs that have the kind of peak sea fans that i mentioned there's i think people are shocked really when they realize how much and how little kind of people expect to see and then how much there actually is to see when they get involved in it but Plymouth's great Plymouth is seriously one of the best places in the country for diving I think people usually see the ocean as like this you know big blue thing with like nothing underneath and when you actually take goggles or you know just goggles you don't have to get the whole (laughs) scuba diving here absolutely looking underwater it's just like makes you realize how rich the life is i mean like amazing seagrass beds and kelp and you know cuttlefish and all sorts of different organisms absolutely i read i was reading um a i think it was actually um martin natural one of the lecturers at the university he was involved in a natural england survey um or he he was involved in a survey looking at public perceptions about UK marine life and some of the results they found were quite shocking actually. I came across a Natural England survey of 3,000 people from 2008 and it said that 44% of people that responded to the survey thought that the seabed beneath their local region was either generally mostly or entirely barren (laughs) and I was I I spoke to some people outside of marine biology and they weren't shocked by that result at all they were kind of like yeah like there's not much I'm not shocked that the general public think that way but I think because we're lucky enough to have opportunities that engage us with this amazing amount of marine life we don't think about how it's perceived by people that don't really have the inkling to do that and it really shocked me. I was drinking my tea. I was kind of always spitting it out afterwards. Like, that's crazy. People don't know. And it's not, you know, I think it's really easy to be like, how can you not know that? But some of it's just luck. They might not have visited the seaside that much, or they might just not have had the opportunities to read about it in the same way that we do. Or, you know, there's loads of different reasons. But uh, yeah, I just found that crazy. I'm pretty sure, like, you know, most children in Plymouth, not most children, but there's definitely a high uh, number of children in Plymouth that actually haven't been to the beach or haven't really been exploring the seaside. 
at home there's like a beach I go swimming like open water swimming mm. and it's like a reef I always go and on a clear day you can see so many fish like it's mm. amazing and one day I just went swimming and there were like this old woman swimming as well and I was like have you seen what's like underwater and they were like no we can't see anything and I gave them my goggles and I was like, please look. And they just put them on. <laughs> like that. Like, yeah. Because it's just Aww. like stunning. And people don't realize. The thing is, it starts with this. Getting to know and seeing and being amazed by like the life in the water. That's what makes you want to protect it. Yeah, absolutely. People can't strive to protect something they don't even know exists. Like, it's not... So yeah, you've been involved with the Wembury Centre. Yeah, so I this was last year. I, I volunteered for, I have to confess, not for too long because I started my HSC course and that kind of got in the way and then COVID happened for this season. So, But yeah, I've been involved with Wembury Marine Centre. They're a brilliant kind of resource for students and for the general public for both being involved in promoting local marine life and also for the public to get involved as well. And talking about diving, so you've started four years ago. And now where are you like, what are your different qualifications? So I'm trying to think now. (laughs) I did my advanced open water, I think about a year after I did my open water. And I have to confess, I was one of those people that because I lived inland, my first real dives were training dives. And I spent probably the first like 30 odd dives there was a lot of space in between them. I did a qualification and I didn't dive for a while. And then I did a couple of shore dives and then I didn't dive for a while. And it was very sort of slow, slowly sort of growing. And then once I moved down to the South coast, I decided actually I did my rescue diver in 2018, no, 2017, sorry. And then I decided I don't, I don't want to progress any further with qualifications because what I felt was lacking actually was experience. <laughs> so I spent 2017, 2018, just getting in the water as much as humanly possible and then I came across the possibility of doing the HSE course in Plymouth so I started dry suit diving more so to try and get better at that and then in dates have just escaped me for some reason it was last year so 2019 in July I did the HSE course Um, and since then I haven't kind of done any other diving qualifications it's just been about diving really I would like to go into more technical routes of diving but financially I can't really afford to do that and the money that I could have spent on doing technical diving courses I've spent on photography equipment instead so which I have no regrets about. Um, Can you just explain what's the HSE for people not from Plymouth? Yeah of course so the HSE qualification is offered at Plymouth University and it's regulated by the health and safety executive, hence the HSE acronym. I believe it's the part, it's called the part four now, or it used to be called the part four and it's now called pro scuba. And effectively it's a month long qualification or course that allows you to legally dive at work in the UK. So globally there are very, you know, the restrictions and the, the legislation around diving is highly variable, but in the UK it's quite strict. So in order to be paid to dive in any real capacity, you have to have undertaken this this course. Yeah, it's a really, really good opportunity for students at Plymouth, honestly. I mean it's it's the main reason I'm here to be honest. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, why did you choose to come to Plymouth? Well, I, um, so I took a year out between my upper sixth um, kind of course, and I decided that I would get some money together and I was going to go and do an internship in South Africa and things like that. And one day I, I heard about the National Marine Aquarium and I had a, a place at um, the Penryn campus in Exeter. And I'd always for you know the last three years, I'd been adamant that that was where I was going. And I'd visited there multiple times. I learned to dive in Falmouth. So I had this real emotional connection to Falmouth and I loved the idea of studying there. And then during my gap year, I went to the National Marine Aquarium with my fiance for a day out. And I looked over the water and I saw the Marine Station and I thought, that looks like a really good resource. Why have I not looked at Plymouth University before? Uh, like, you know, I, I should probably check that I'm not missing out on something great here. So I attended an open day and me and my partner walked around the Marine Station and, you know, met some of the lecturers and stuff. And it, I just did a complete 360 and I thought, especially with the HSC course and being a diver and having the intentions of taking that further, I just couldn't miss out on that. It just felt, it would have, it would have felt kind of crazy to, to miss out on those um, opportunities. So yeah, that's, I think the HSC and the Marine Station is what really swayed me. But now I have an understanding of kind of the actual course itself. I think I made the right decision for that, from that perspective too. Why did you want to go into Marine? biology so i as a from really early age i've always been obsessed with fossils this is good this is linking back i promise <laughs> um and i my dad used to take me fishing a lot as well and i always had like a a kind of fascination for obscure animals and i was just really intrigued by the fact that animals lived you know a long time ago and they don't live today and also weird and crazy animals were really interesting to me as a child and then as I grew older, I decided, you know, I'm definitely going to go into paleontology and get involved in learning about these animals that lived, you know, however long ago. And then I started to learn about some of the animals that live today that have been on the planet for a long time, whether it be, you know, sharks or um, some of the crustaceans we have, like horseshoe crabs, or they're referred to as living fossils, but I know that can be a term that's contentious. But I started learning about them and I, I had this realisation that, learning about animals that are extinct is interesting in itself but I can't change their fate they're gone there's nothing I can do I can just learn about them for the sheer fun of it which don't get me wrong there's absolutely nothing wrong with that that's amazing in itself but I had this desire to know that what I studied could actually protect things that live today and marine biology kind of combined that application of learning about both biotic and abiotic kind of processes in the ocean and knowing that it had real world applications to protecting things that still live basically. So also I want to go back to this you do photography and you've been awarded an amazing <laughs> well prize can you tell us about this? So this happened not too long ago um, it was the it's another brilliant acronym that I always have to remember what it actually stands for. The British and Irish Underwater Photography Championships. There we go. I got it in one. <laughs> um, so that's run by the British Society of Underwater Photographers. Another brilliant acronym for you. <laughs> and they typically run monthly competitions and a few annual competitions that I've been following for a while, but never thought that I really took anything within the calibre of being competition worthy. But there's a partic this particular championship that I entered. It was my first time entering a serious competition and it's run 
on one day of the year every year and the images have to be taken in the UK so basically it sort of evens the playing field you know I can't I can't afford to go to the Arctic and take pictures of you know amazing kind of novel subjects and whatever else so this allowed me to go you know what well, I can go into Weymouth Harbour and look at seagrass at two meters and stand even a chance of winning something or getting some feedback from people that have been in this far longer than I have and I would love to know what they think of my work so I entered it not really um I have to admit not really expecting much to come of it because I've really respect the other type the other people that, that enter and yeah, I managed to win the wide angle and then it was announced that I won the entire championships with, <laughs> with the photo that I took. So yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. That's amazing. Like really amazing. So is that the photography of the seagrass bed? Yeah, um, which I don't actually think is on my website yet, but I'll, uh, I need to get that uploaded. It's, um, it's on my social media though. So do you think is photography the type of career you'd like to go into or is it just something on the side that you want to do? I honestly don't know at this point. I think there's a part of me that doesn't think photography is possible for me as a career. And it's not because I'm a pessimist. I just think that it requires a lot of, you know, I haven't actually pursued formal training in photography. So I wonder if I need, you know, more of a photography based degree and filmmaking based masters, etc., to be able to actually seriously go into wildlife filmmaking and photography. But I know that regardless of whether I stay in academia, which is currently my intention or not, I think photography will always be a big part of my career or my kind of bit on the side. It's always going to be a big part of my life. It's just, I'm not sure how much it will interact with my nine to five, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. So you want to stay in like academia as a research? At the moment, I think, yeah, that's my intention, but I have... I have contemplated looking at some of the courses that Bristol offer going into just throwing a wild card out there and going into filmmaking or something like that. But I think over the next year or so, I'll be making that decision kind of properly. Well, I guess it's not one or the other. If you're a scientist, if you're a good scientist, you know how to, you know, communicate your science. What's the point of doing amazing research if, you know, no one understands it and no one knows about it? Yeah. So having both, I guess, is like really important and useful. Absolutely. I think that's very, I'm, I think we're probably seeing from the same hymn sheet. I really think the two, they're not mutually exclusive and they're really heavily interlinked. No, I totally agree. I think, um, and historically science and art were really kind of interlinked. And I, as we've progressed in society, we had this idea that you're either a scientist or an artist, but communicating what you do is so important. And I think like you say, your science has so much more value if you actually communicate it effectively. So yeah, I don't really know. I don't know how much the photography will interact with my career, but I'm determined to do it for yeah the rest of my life. Yeah. And I guess communicating as well in a way that kind of triggers emotions. Yeah. Um, it's like so important because I mean, if we would be listening to scientists, we would not be where we are today. So I think just triggering emotions in people to make them you know like and be amazed about marine life or the the environment nature in general yeah i think that's the way to go even though science is so important but also making people just spreading love (laughs) yeah no absolutely i think that's very much in line with a project i'm i've started working on recently with my photography my next thing with having won this award is now kind of how can I 
use this win as a springboard to get people interested because people might take a superficial interest in the fact that there's an award-winning photographer that lives in their little village in Axminster and then I want to kind of take that further by having little pop-up exhibitions locally um, with photos and make it a very visual experience very emotive experience where people are looking at these pictures and you know, shock that they're taken on their doorstep. And uh, while the facts and the, the core science behind protecting these habitats is incredibly vital, going back to that public, in, public perception paper that I was reading, they found that the most ecologically significant species that they included in the survey were also the ones that, had the, that were perceived as the least interesting to the public, and that include kelp, mel, and seagrass, with seagrass being at the very bottom of the list in terms of how interesting the public perceives them to be. So make, having, like, creating an emotional connection with these kinds of animals or plants or algae <laughs> is really important making people go wow that's so beautiful i'm so kind of proud that that's just here or whatever sometimes unfortunately is far more useful i think than saying seagrass is a great carbon storage <laughs> you know <laughs> and it is and it should you know <laughs> they're both really really important <laughs> yeah definitely yeah no it's it's really important and you did you you learned to dive in simon's town didn't you with yeah, I did in South Africa, yeah. Yeah, so the you know, there's another great place. There are so many amazing habitats globally that really spark that kind of emotion. But I think people are more likely to think that those kinds of emotions can only be had in waters abroad rather than ones in, you know, Portland Harbour or Beer, which is a small town in, in Devon or even in Plymouth Sound. You know, I just, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. something I could talk about all day. I really care about it. <laughs> Can we talk a bit about the degree? So we're not we're doing actually the same one, marine biology and ecology. Can you just um, say what you think about it? I think well, coming into it, I was quite nervous but really excited, and um, I had this idea of what a university lecturer was, which was totally wrong. Um, but <laughs> I had this idea that it would be very kind of formal, and it's it's still very professional, a very well run course. But there's this real sense of I can talk to you and you know I feel comfortable talking to you whether you know and it's the the general kind of feel of the way that the course is taught is very friendly and very engaging and I've I've absolutely loved it I had this moment during lockdown where I realized you know I won't be there forever and it made me really sad actually it's kind of I don't want to leave and in terms of the course content more kind of on a more sort of formal basis I think it, it's really varied and I I personally love that I absolutely love that you get a real sense of where your career could take you whether it's sort of evolutionary biology or you know climate science or you know there's so many different ways that I remember thinking before I started my degree that I'll probably end up specializing in something that I don't even know exists yet and I think the course really gives you that a, a flavor of so many different aspects of marine biology that you might not even have, have considered before you start and particularly with coastal ecology, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, I'm coasty through and through. <laughs> it, it's amazing, but the same can be said for all three of the courses, to be honest. So I think just choosing one that works for you is the best, the best option. Yeah, I think I couldn't agree more. I remember, so I got into marine biology because I wanted to um, study handbag whales. Like, that was my dream. Yeah. But actually, yeah, you get into the course and you've got, you get to learn so much. And as you said, it's really varied. So you actually realise there's so much to marine biology than yeah. 
you know, whales and dolphins. Yeah. Um, which are really cool. I'm not saying that they're not, but there's so many different things. You, you don't even know what you want to do at the end because everything is yeah. like so cool. Uh, so I think that's, yeah, really great. And as you said, like the lecturers, I think it's just more than lecturers. That, as you said, like you can just talk to them and you get really close to them and especially with the field trips. So yes, absolutely. We both went to South Africa and you get to know them so well and your course mates so well. Yeah, I totally agree. It really feels like it doesn't it doesn't feel like they you know the lecturers are going into this as you know oh this is my nine to five you feel like they have a real sense of duty to get to know you as a person and get to know kind of the cohort and get to know kind of how we are and I think that's it that doesn't go unnoticed and I hope that they know that that's valued because it really is and with their teaching as well, it comes across that they care that we are engaged and, you know, it comes across that they care about what they're doing too. And there's so much to be said for that. It's so valuable. Well, some will probably be listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going on an endless rant now. <laughs> I don't know what we think. <laughs> um, have you been involved in some types of NGOs or charities? I think you are with the Marine Conservation Society. Yes. So I volunteer as a sea search diver, but I also I'm involved in the Sea Champions. I guess you'd call it a project or it's essentially a group of volunteers for the Marine Conservation Society and they're coordinated locally. Um, We have Jules for the Southwest and she is amazing and she's very keen to kind of take on students from the university too so if you are listening and you're keen to get involved either contact me or her and there are so many different routes that you can go with the marine conservation society locally jules is often running beach cleans and she wants to get people involved in that or if you're more interested in the kind of citizen science and recording side of things but you're not a diver there's um the big seaweed survey i think that's the correct term it's run by the uh, natural history museum but the marine conservation society are kind of giving it a big push and getting people involved in that but my main my main role has been um trying to increase engagement with sea search so running courses for the scuba society within the university trying to get our local british Aquatic club involved and reach out to some of the divers that are a bit of a tough crowd they're more you know they dive because they enjoy the the thrill of it or they like to look at the wrecks they're not necessarily interested in the animals living on them so i was trying to kind of push to get records that will pass recreational limits because there is a strange bias towards more shallow records with sea search in the sense that technical divers don't tend to be into the kind of biological recording as much and now with this new project the exhibition project i'm looking at running locally that's going to be hopefully kind of helped well jules is going to help me kind of deliver that so they they offer like jules offers great support if you've got ideas that you want to run but she'll also kind of put things your way if she knows that you have a particular interest. So if you are, you know, starting at the university or you're, you're there now, I really recommend getting in touch with her. She's amazing. The exhibition, do you want to do it where you live here? I mean, where you live right now in Devon? Or do you want to do it? I mean, Plymouth is Devon, but <laughs> do you want... I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And do you also want to do it in Plymouth? I think at the moment, because of COVID, I want to start it in a sort of small town and give that kind of I just want local people to connect and I know you know living here and saying oh I live in Axminster and I won this award and blah 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 I think it'll be easier especially with 
everything that's going on in the world right now i think i'll start off in accidents down it's a smaller place and more manageable and then go on to kind of places like dorchester plymouth because i've dived all around those areas and some of the photos i've taken even though they may have been taken in in dorset this exact same habitats exist in plymouth sound it's just that i happen to have taken those photos in dorset so you know I can still engage with them and show people what's in Plymouth Sound in terms of the species. I just can't tell them that it was taken in Plymouth Sound. Yeah. I've been in kelp forest in Plymouth, like free diving. Mm. I haven't been in like seagrass beds. Do we have any here? Yes, there are there are some near Drake's Island. I have a I had a map of them. There are a few. There's some near Jenny Cliff as well. Some of them are a bit awkward to access because unless you have a boat, because they're kind of quite close to shipping channels. But others aren't. I can't actually remember off the top of my head where the others are. But I know that they're looking at running the remedies project in some areas of the Plymouth Sound SAC and things like that. So um, there's definite. There are definitely seagrass beds, and also um, it's uh, within the estuary. There's seagrass. It's not Zostera marina. It's the other one. I can't remember. It's another Zostera species, and there's a lot of that in the in the estuary. Yeah. So the Remedies project is the seagrass restoration, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I have um, a guest talking about this in one of the episodes. Um, yeah. Oh, and Corsan Bay, of course. I don't know how I managed to forget Oh, Corsan. really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Corsan is so nice. It's lovely. Yeah, so for those that are not from Plymouth, you can get a ferry to Corsan, which is in Cornwall, and you get to that little bay, and it's like a Cornish town, and it's just like so cute and lovely. And I, I haven't dived there yet, but I really want to go free diving there. Definitely recommend. Yeah, it's really nice. And that's I think that's one of the main places for the, the seagrass. I don't know how I managed to forget that. But um, yeah, Corsand is one of the best places for um, seagrass in the sound. So Cool. What would you like to see happening in Plymouth in terms of marine biology? Or like what kind of project would you see in Plymouth? I think I'd like to see just generally with the public more engagement. And I think we're really starting to make kind of waves with that. They're looking at making a a park. Oh, the Plymouth Marine Park. That's it. it. Yeah, the Plymouth Marine Park. And looking at some of the engagement material that they've sent out, I think that's been really, really positive. And I think if we can continue that momentum, we're looking at kind of engaging the types of people that I've I've spoken about and really inspiring people, um, because it's really important to engage at that local level. You know. The people that are coming in with, you know, to do the degree and stuff, chances are they have some knowledge, not all, to be honest, but they have some knowledge, but the people that live there may not. Um, and I think the, the Plymouth Marine Park is a really great way of kind of showcasing what's just on their doorstep and giving that sense of connection. So I think if projects like that, that project and projects like that keep up doing what they're doing, I think I would be, I just, I really, I really support that. I really enjoy seeing that kind of thing. Thanks for being the first interviewee and being the guinea pig. My (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Georgie and I. I hope you've enjoyed it. So it's the first episode I make, which means I'm still learning how to record and edit the podcast properly. So please bear with me. And I have posted in the description the details of Georgie if you want to contact her. 
I've also put the link for her website where you can see her photos which are really incredible so I would urge you to do so and if you have anything to say feel free and I'm already looking forward to the next episode with a variety of guest speakers that will be sharing their stories with us and in the meantime take care of yourself and of the ocean. <laughs>